When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Happy Halloween month. Yay. Some people celebrate their birthdays for a whole month. We celebrate Halloween for a whole month. Absolutely. Over at Hollywood Crime Scene Studios. I'm excited. I know we're not the only ones. No. Halloween is popular. It's a very popular holiday. Also, there's lots of like month-long things happening for Halloween, I feel like. Yeah, always. So let's start off the show by thanking our Patreon contributors. This week we had Alex, Lauren, Faith, Mara, Christina, Emma, Netin, Emily, Jenna, Brian, Tom, Summer, Christopher, Becky, Anastasia, Sandy C., Avanna, Shay, Helen, Amy, Carrie, Adam, Melissa, Dallas, Amelie, Brandy, and Angela. Thank you, guys. Also, I got a. I talked to my mom on the phone today, and she said, "How come I don't give get a shout out every week on page for Patreon?" Every week, she said, "Well, I'm a weekly patron." <laughs> I said, "Mom, so is everybody else." Stella. <laughs> <laughs> and the, well, and then right after I was on the phone speaker with my grandmother and my my mom, and and my grandma said, "You better not use your mom's real name." So, <laughs> but I'm too lazy to edit that out. <laughs> anyway, mom, thank you for being a patron. Yeah, thank you for listening to the show. Absolutely. She's a she's a um, dedicated listener. She is a VIP patron because it's my mom. Yeah. Uh, cool. Here's all that attention you ordered. (laughs) I love you, mom. Okay. So (laughs) to kick off Halloween month, we are going to be doing a movie versus reality. That is a movie that none other than my boyfriend, Brendan, starred in almost 20 years ago. Wow. Can you believe it? No. I feel like that movie was not 20 years ago. We're just getting old. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really was like shocked thinking about, oh my God, this came out 19 years ago. What the fuck? Yeah, that's crazy. Now, in 2001, Brendan was in a movie called Session 9, which is a pretty popular horror movie in the horror community. It definitely, uh, you know, wasn't like a big box office smash, but it, it became kind of a cult. Yeah. Favorite, I would say. I think that happens to a lot of horror movies. Absolutely. And it is very creepy. Yes. I did see it a long time ago. Uh, I don't remember if I saw it when it came out or shortly after, but I found it's my type of horror movie. Now, the movie is about a crew of dudes who... (laughs) Look, I didn't write a synopsis for this. I'm just going off the top of my head. It's about this crew of guys who are hired to clear out asbestos inside of a mental hospital. An abandoned one. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the movie was filmed at a real hospital that used to be in operation for like 100 years called the Danvers State Hospital, which is in Danvers, Massachusetts. They actually filmed Session 9 at this hospital, and all the creepy props that you see in the movie were there. Oh, cool. So, like, you see some scary-looking chair mm-hmm. in, in the room. Like, that was there. Oh, wow. Uh, I did talk to Brendan about the filming of this movie today, because, of course, you know I wanted to hear if he saw a ghost yeah. while they were filming there. He didn't see a ghost, but he did say that it was spooky. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I would be scared. I, I don't, I'm not going into an abandoned asylum. Are you? Uh, no. Even though I don't believe in ghosts, I still don't want to. Because it'll be scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
He said that some people on set, like he he remembers people on set saying they did like see like a person darting back and forth, like an apparition, right? At some point, uh, I mean, I really wanted to, like, I was really hoping that he would have like a very specific ghost story for me, but I did, of course, leave this to the last minute when I interviewed him. Of course, him. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about leaving things to the last minute. <laughs> He also said that for the longest time, he kept an old glass x-ray slide of somebody's spine (gasps) that was there. Why did he get rid of it? I was wondering the same thing. Like maybe it was from when he moved to LA that... What an incredible birthday gift that would have been. I'm honestly, I didn't, I mean, I didn't say this to him at the time, but I'm very upset now thinking about how we could have this x-ray slide in our home. Yeah. Although it could be haunted. That's true. But it didn't haunt him for all the time he had it. I would want to see it regardless. Uh, And the fact that it's glass too. Oh yeah. That sounds It was very old. Yeah. But they like had all, all this access, like they didn't have to do like source all these props from elsewhere. Right. They had them all there. And they no one was like caring that they were taken, probably. Because like, this place yeah. was abandoned. Yeah. So I can't imagine the treasure trove of creepy stuff they found. I would have loved to get like stuff just for gifts. <laughs> <laughs> just for gifts. <laughs> just to have a pile of gifts ready to go for last minute things. Oh, Happy yeah. birthday. Here's an x-ray oh, of a spine. Yeah. Oh God! It's Christmas is coming. Desi's gonna give one of her braces again, or whatever yes. antique her leg phren- braces. phrenology uh, spike headpiece. Yeah, exactly. Hey, at least it's not a Bed Bath and Beyond gift basket. <laughs> You're like, you want spa products? Here's a hose they used to spray the loonies with. So Brendan said uh, a particularly scary moment for him is in a pretty iconic scene that's actually in the trailer for the film. He said filming this was actually really terrifying in real life. And that's the scene where he's investigating something and all the lights go out and he's like running through the hallway screaming. Oh. He's running through a tunnel screaming. He said that was like a real scream. Yes. He was like, I was actually screaming because I was afraid. Well, the reason I like this movie is because it is things that would scare you and could happen. Right. Just like the lights going off and you get a chill up your spine. So that kind of stuff really works on me because I don't believe a lot of the paranormal stuff, but I do believe you can creep yourself out just based on like real things happening. You can like bring yourself up to that space easily. Like, yeah. So he was very scared. There was another instance like in another location of the hospital where they were filming where lights were turned out and he just was like, that was all real fear. Yeah. Uh, The other thing that was particularly chilling in this movie is the fact that he had a mullet. Ooh, yeah. Uh, I asked him about the mullet and he said that that those were extensions. And I said, well, what kind of extensions? Were they glue on? Were they, you know, sewn in? Yeah. Uh, They were the glue on kind. (laughs) So he told me that when he went back to New York for like a weekend while they were filming, he had this mullet and he had to like walk through Manhattan or wherever he was living with this mullet. And he was like, and this was pre-ironic hipster mullet era. Right. So he's like, yes, I'm from Staten Island. great picture of him at a monster truck rally on Staten Island when he in like 1989 or something. Look, it is the most 80s Staten Island picture you've ever seen. That's amazing. I love it. I I mean, the truth is Brendan looks good with a mullet kind of weirdly. Like he works, like it works on him. Thanks, Desi. (laughs) Your boyfriend is such trash. It works on him. If anyone's like gonna, he still looks cute with it. Yeah, do you know what I'm of saying? Of course like, he yeah. does. But he, uh, this was, yeah. So he's running around New York with a mullet while he's on break. I can't believe they just, did you say they just glued them in? Well, that's how you, there's glue on extensions. But also like, I'm surprised he couldn't just make the mullet, like grow it himself, right? Uh, I mean, I guess. That, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I doubt he wanted anything that was. I guess. But if you're a guy, you can just cut it right off at the right, end. Like, yeah. It's not like. Yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know why he didn't make okay. the mullet. I think he has. You know what? When I 
when I, around the time I first met Brendan, maybe it was like a year after I met him. I don't know. I want to say like 2009 or 2010. He had a, he had a mullet for like a minute. Oh, like not like a long mullet, right? but he had a, a little bit of, look, it was, it was a little bit of a mullet. You noticed, so it was a mullet. Yeah, and and he and he, he, he acknowledges it. But that's what I'm saying. It kind of looks good on him. <laughs> like he he can get away with he it. Can, he's very cute. He can get away with a lot of ridiculous right hairstyles. So uh, the other information that he volunteered to me, which I did not ask for, was he said, "Oh, and I was listening to a lot of Dido when we filmed this." Really? I was shocked. I've never heard him mention Dido before. I've never heard anyone say they were mis- listening to a lot of Dido. <laughs> like, how much does she have? <laughs> well, I mean, she just came out with that, was that her day? De- probably her debut album that year. Yeah. So it's not like she had albums and albums. So he was re-listening to that one album over and over again. And I was like, Dido? I've, ne- I've never heard him bring up Dido before. We've, we've never listened to Dido together. And I was like, oh, that's, that is interesting. And then he said, oh, I was also listening to a lot of Kid A because that had just come out. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Thanks. Thanks. So now I know you're cool. Yeah. I, <laughs> what is her song? I want to thank you. That yeah. was like her big hit, That was right? her big hit. I've, I just think of her as like the Stan song now. Well, yeah. That's like her big hit to me. Well, even yeah. Though, Stan is her biggest hit to yeah, me as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, what else? Anything else? I asked him. I don't know. He was sleepy when I was asking him. It's, it's my fault. It's my fault. I, and I also, he said, honey, we're, he said, honey, you're a really bad interviewer and I'm a really bad interviewee. Right. And I was like, I know. Well, I think you did good. I think I did fine. <laughs> you got us some info. You know what? If I get if I get any more tidbits, okay, you'll let us know during Creepy Month. I'll let you guys know during Creepy Month. Uh, all right. So we're not going to be talking about hauntings this episode as much as I love hauntings, but this movie was partially inspired by a real life crime. That happened in Massachusetts in the mid-90s. I did not know this until recently, but if you've seen Session 9, you know that there is a murder in the backdrop of this film. So this isn't going to give anything away. Watch the movie. Right. But we're going to talk about a crime that occurred that definitely inspired a big part of this movie. Uh, let's just get started. Okay. I don't have an intro for this. On the night of August 28th, 1995, 40-year-old Richard Rosenthal was driving in his car with his four-and-a-half-month-old child in the back seat. He had just left his home in Framingham, Massachusetts. He spotted a license plate that read 357 BAN. Intrigued by what the plate might mean, he began to follow the couple driving the car back to their home in Hudson. Richard pulled into the driveway of Paul and Lynn Johnson and began talking at them. Richard was described as animated and was saying something about gun control. He thought that the license plate said ban 357s. Oh, I was wondering why he was so intrigued by that. Like, Well, he was very uh, interested in asking the owners of this car why they wanted to ban 357s. Is that a gun? I guess. Okay. <laughs> it's always bad when we have to talk about guns on this show. It's always bad when you're following someone when you have a four and a half month old baby in the car, <laughs> in my opinion. Absolutely. When the Johnsons noticed the baby in the car, yeah. as you said, they called the police. Good. They're like, what is this man doing with a child? Yeah. Officer Cipriano Pinto arrived at the scene and asked Richard where the mother of the child was. Oh, boy. He said, she's at home. He then told the officer that him and his wife had been having problems and that they had just gotten into a fight because he had overcooked the ziti that he had cooked for dinner and she got mad. I'm sorry. Laugh now because it's about to get bleak. Okay. Get it all out. I just, ziti. (laughs) She had overbaked the ziti. He overbaked it. He overbaked the ziti. Okay. Which, to be fair, I would get very mad about that too. I'm I'm also thinking I'd be mad. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Okay, go. I'm serious now. He then told the officer, I was in a fight. I did something terribly wrong. I want a lawyer. 
Richard was arrested and taken into custody. Police descended on the Rosenthal's four-bedroom home in Framingham to search the property. In the upstairs bedroom, they discovered a butcher's knife and bloody clothing. But the real shocker came when they searched the backyard. A wooden stake was sticking out of the ground. A heart and a pair of lungs were impaled on it. What? Yes. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Just 30 yards away from the stake, they found the mutilated body of 34-year-old Laura Rosenthal. Her face had been rendered unrecognizable by a vicious beating, and she had been cut open from her chest to her navel. The bloodied murder weapon was found nearby. It was a rock the size of a softball. (gasps) It was determined that she had been struck 25 times with this rock. The body had to be officially identified by dental records. Damn. Richard appeared calm at his arraignment the next day. He smiled as he recounted the argument that ensued over the ZD. He was ordered to undergo a 20-day psychiatric evaluation at Bridgewater State Hospital. The court-appointed psychologist recalled him asking, Is this a big case? Ugh. Friends and co-workers of Richard's were stunned that he had committed such a gruesome murder against his wife. Richard was a senior executive at John Hancock Life Insurance in Massachusetts. His wife, Laura, also worked for the company, but had recently quit her job to care for their child. Richard was considered a star at the company he worked for. He was even up for a promotion. One of his colleagues said of him, quote, The guy is extremely smart. A neighbor of Richard described him as weird and spooky. You don't describe a lot of people as spooky. No. I have, I've never been, dis- I mean, have I been described as spooky? I don't think so. And you're not really spooky. I don't think either one of us are spooky. I, whenever I think of someone who I think, oh, that person is spooky, it's usually an insult because they're trying to be spooky. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like performative spookiness. Well, this, this coworker, or was a neighbor, this neighbor thought he was weird and spooky. Yeah, that's unusual. Another neighbor said, quote, I thought he was a bit strange, but nothing like this, though. Yeah. I don't think anything can prepare you for this. That's like Hannibal level type stuff. I mean, this is something you only hear about in the movies. Yeah. Now, Laura Rosenthal was born May 3rd, 1961 in El Paso, Texas. She was the daughter of Patrick Russell, a wealthy oil man and contractor. Her parents divorced when she was a child, and she was raised by her mother, Vanita, who struggled to make ends meet. Laura's father remarried and lived in his gigantic home just a half a mile away from from her with his stepchildren. For Laura, growing up knowing that her father was nearby, remarried, and with stepchildren while living in luxury, and her and her mom were down the road in their modest house. Yeah. Uh, that ate away at her. That was sort of like she resented that. That's fucked up. Growing up. One of her friends from high school said that Laura believed that her father was more interested in his stepkids than he was in her. But despite it all, Laura's friends knew her as a happy kid who was always smiling. She was well-liked and did well in school. In high school, Laura was in the speech and drama clubs and on the varsity cross-country team. One of her classmates described her as having it all, brains and beauty. Laura did end up living with her father during her junior and senior year in high school, and at this time she was a little bit of a wild child, partying a lot and staying out late. This was something her father disapproved of. When Laura came to school one day with a bruise on her face, she told her friend that her dad gave it to her. (gasps) Another one of her high school friends said Laura told told him that her dad sometimes struck her with a belt. Patrick would later deny any accusations that he ever struck his children beyond spankings when they were younger. He said, quote, I think some people are trying hard to look for a reason for all of this. Patrick Russell's wife, Carol, described him as a hard man and domineering. After graduating high school, Laura went to the University of Texas for two semesters before moving to Santa Monica with her friend from high school, Kent. They both took some classes at Santa Monica College, and Laura worked a variety of jobs, but she craved something bigger, so she moved to Boston to go to school. After graduating from college, there she was offered a job at John Hancock Life Insurance, and she was quickly promoted to assistant portfolio manager. It was in the financial services division where she met Richard Rosenthal. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates, go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. Richard Rosenthal was born in Newark, New Jersey to a working class family. As a kid, he was very smart, a member of the chess and computer clubs. He earned a bachelor's degree from Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania and got his master's at Temple. He was hired at John Hancock in 1985. His colleagues knew him for being hardworking and brilliant, but a bit of a loner with no sense of humor. Mm. An ex-girlfriend said of Richard, quote, He didn't seem to have a way to express his anger. He didn't talk very much in the first place. He would withdraw. Laura was attracted to Richard right off the bat, and they quickly entered into a whirlwind romance. He even whisked her off to Paris for Valentine's Day. Ooh. So he really put the moves on her. He romanced her a lot. They really had this great relationship in the beginning. And when they became engaged in 1990, they went to El Paso to be with Laura's family and friends for their engagement party. But the engagement trip to El Paso was not remembered fondly by Laura's longtime friend Kent. He recalled getting a phone call one night from Laura. She had been crying, and she asked him to please meet her at her father's house. Laura told him that Richard had beat her up. (gasps) According to Kent, Richard pulled her hair, punched her in the ribs, pushed her, and grabbed a hold of her neck so forcefully that it had left a mark. Shit. This is, like, right after they get engaged. Yeah. Laura told him that Richard had become upset because he was tired of going to engagement parties. But the following year, Richard and Laura were married in a ceremony at a fancy hotel in El Paso. Some friends thought that Richard was beginning to isolate Laura and that he was ordering her to dress less sexy. They were like, oh, she stopped wearing nail polish and she's dressing more demure. Uh Maybe that was true, but I think they were sort of looking for signs. Yeah. Because they all felt like something's wrong, you know, something's off here in this relationship. 
But some friends thought that the marriage would prove to be good for them as a couple. Like a okay. lot of people, especially people like coworkers of Richard's were like, oh, he'll soften up when he's with Laura. And sometimes people get married, they don't dress as sexy anymore, like on their own volition. Do you know what I mean? Like, of, of yeah. course, yeah. But there were since there were other signs. Absolutely. Her friends were probably like looking at this. Like it this, seemed more controlling. Yeah, like yeah. this is not good. When Laura showed up to work with a black eye, <gasps> Richard was asked about it by one of his coworkers. He said that Laura had hit a door. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. He, no, I know. It's just like... <sighs> When I think of like the door, it's always the door or the falling downstairs. And it's like, it makes me so For some reason, the door makes me so mad because I was like, has that even ever happened in real life? Like that you've blackened your eye on a door? I have never had that happen to me before. I haven't even come close to having that happen. And I'm quite clumsy. (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's also now that it's a cliched excuse, why would you even use it anymore? Like, it's just wild to me. Yeah. And I don't don't think the people at the office bought this no either they were like yeah i believe richard might do so he's kind of weird yeah because he's so weird i mean it just and it wasn't like he's weird like oh he's into weird stuff like he just his personality was a little off well with someone that doesn't have a sense of humor that's a red flag i think i agree yeah i agree desi so he lit <laughs> melon <laughs> melon get off the table Oh my God, this cat is too big. Hold on. You're too big to jump on this cheap table. (laughs) Leave it in. We're leaving that in. Okay. Okay. Now, he later admitted that he may have pushed her. Ugh. An ex-girlfriend of Richard's later told investigators that Richard once, once pushed her into a wall, but that was the only time he ever got physical with her. She said that she did not consider herself to be in an abusive relationship with him. In 1993, Richard and Laura moved into their home in Framingham. Quote, they seemed like the perfect couple living in the suburbs, a neighbor said. Another neighbor said she thought Richard was odd and quiet. Quote, to tell you the truth, I thought there was something a bit odd about him. And I'm not just saying that now. (laughs) I like her clarification. Yeah, she's like, look... Because we've talked about before where people, after the fact yes. of a crime, they're like, well, now that you mention it. Absolutely. He only bought skim milk. Who only buys skim? And he yeah, wasn't everything all of, all of a sudden seems very suspicious. Yeah. But this lady was adamant. No, yeah. he was always a little odd. People who knew the couple said that Laura was a great wife and that she doted on Richard. Richard and Laura gave birth to their first child, Reese, in 1994, but he died just 13 hours (gasps) after he was born. After the tragic death of their child, Laura's father flew out to Boston and stayed with his daughter for 10 days. After that, Richard took Laura on a six-week vacation. Richard blamed Laura for the death of their child. What? (laughs) Yes. They had their daughter, Marla, in April of 1995. She had a hip that didn't form correctly. And when the couple learned from their doctor that they both had RH factors in their blood that made them incompatible to conceive a child, Richard grew even more resentful of his wife. Oh, So he was like, this is a genetic thing. It's my wife's fault. Right. He just... She shouldn't have what I have that makes it bad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, I mean, he was basically... I mean, it's just fucking awful. Yeah, it's disgusting. Uh, He blamed her as the sole reason for their children having physical problems. He would also sit in the dark and watch videos of Laura's sonogram from their deceased child on repeat. Okay, that's creepy. Yeah, I can imagine like rewatching the sonogram and people grieve in different ways, but this was like something that was noticeably weird that he was like obsessively sitting watching this in the dark. Yeah. I mean, I can see watching it or looking at it again or something like that, but to watch it consistently in the dark is weird. I'm sorry. And also again, in hindsight, of course, this stuff is seems creepier. It definitely seems creepier, but I do think it's creepy even without hindsight. (laughs) Like that's like someone who needs help dealing with something at the very least, right? Like, oh, absolutely. Like he should have, you know, um, this is a terribly traumatic thing to go through. Absolutely, and he should have probably gotten help for it. Absolutely. 
He also began calling the hospital incessantly, threatening to sue them for the death of his child. The calls were so frequent that the hospital asked him to not contact them anymore. After their daughter Marla was born, Richard had become interested in religion, but like really interested. Like this was, he was not religious growing up. Yeah. But suddenly he's like Mr. Religious. Is he Jewish? Yes. Okay. Uh, by ethnicity, but now he's like... So he's... But he's... The, the religion he's getting into is Judaism. Yes. Okay. Now he's like getting into the religious side of it. So uh, let's see. He would attend daily prayer sessions at the local synagogue in the days before the murder. And a fellow synagogue member said that he received an eerie phone call from Richard in the days leading up to the murder. Oh. Like people at the synagogue noticed... That this guy was acting odd, especially since all of a sudden he just started showing up like every day. Yeah, he's dealing with some, like something's happening Something's going on with him. The synagogue's cantor said that Laura was considerably more friendly and warm than her husband. He also said that Richard had a clammy handshake. Oh, so Laura's going to these services with him as well. Yes, she started attending services right after their daughter was born. Okay. Uh, like as a family, they were going together. Okay. Uh, but then Richard was going like... More. Way more. Got it. Basically, like they were just going like... Once a week or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this cantor said that Richard didn't talk too much, but when he did, he sounded annoyed or he was complaining about something. A co-worker of Richard's said that on the day of the murder, he had asked her if she could water his plants. She said, oh, are you going on vacation? And he responded, I don't think you could call it that. Ooh. That same morning, Richard's supervisor said that he was acting strangely at a meeting. He kept leaving and coming back, and he was complaining about how cold it was in the room. But it was not cold in the room. Wow. I mean, so this is like premeditated. He's like planning stuff already don't you think uh, i mean if it seems like it i don't know i mean if that's what is that what you take away from this i take away is like partially a mental break but also that he's planning something right then at five thirty that day richard called him to tell him that he thought everyone in his department should be given a pin for an employee recognition award i guess they had these employee awards and they gave out pins okay and richard was calling about that. Like, hey, I think everyone in our department should get one of these. (laughs) Another colleague of Richard's said that he received a voicemail from him letting him know that he bought his child a book. The next day, when Richard was in police custody, he left a voicemail for his coworker, Joan, to inquire about the employee award pins. Okay. so While he's he's in uh, police custody. He's uh, not all there at this moment. Right, we're going to get into that. (laughs) After being indicted, Richard Rosenthal was remanded to jail as he await trial. However, he was transferred back to the Bridgewater State Hospital after he attempted suicide. Now, within a year, he would be transferred back and forth from jail to the hospital five times. Okay. Like, yeah, because he would have a suicide attempt, go back to the hospital. Was it just the regular hospital? No, it was the uh, mental hospital. Okay. The Bridgewater State. Oh, the Bridgewater okay, State yeah, Hospital. Yeah. He had attempted to cut his neck. <gasps> he stayed in the hospital for a month before being taken back to jail. The trial began October of 1996, just over a year after the murder. Richard pled not guilty by reason of insanity. One of his defense attorneys, David Duncan, said, quote, We believe he's seriously mentally ill. He's delusional. In opening statements, his other defense attorney, Norman Zalkind, stated that his client was suffering from mental illness and believed his wife was a vampire. Oh. That the, he, believed, he said that Richard believed the only way of defeating her was by impaling her organs on a wooden stake. Oh. He said, quote, In fact, he thinks his wife is going to walk into the courtroom today and that I'm not really his attorney. Zalkine cited diary entries that were written by Richard prior to the murder detailing all of these delusions. Now, Richard had a surprising number of written things that they could cite. Really? And, and, and testify to the state of his mental soundness. Uh-huh. 
Prosecutor Mark Murphy described Richard as a controlling, abusive husband who was determined to make someone pay for the death of his son. He said that Richard was aware of his actions uh, and that they were wrong. As he stated to the police when they arrested or when they approached him, he said, I did a terrible thing. So they're like, well, he, he admitted he knew it. He knew he did a terrible thing. Okay. He, he knew it was wrong. Yeah. That's, that's what the prosecutor is asserting. Joanne Breyer, a co-worker of Richard and Laura's, testified about the black eye that she saw on Laura back in 1990. And she wasn't the only one to testify to Richard's alleged abuse against his wife. Two more co-workers said that they had seen Laura with bruises on her face in 1993. The prosecution introduced a letter that was written by Richard to his college roommate in December of 1995. So that's a few months after he's taken into custody. Uh, He wrote this from jail. In the letter, which was described as a manifesto and written a few days after his lawyers decided to plead insanity, Richard said, quote, I had a very bad feeling about her since the previous evening that she was planning to kill me. Now, I guess the prosecution was using this letter to to show that he's faking this because this letter was written just a couple days after they decided right. they're going to go for an insanity defense. Dr. Jeffrey Wong testified that he spoke with Richard at length the previous year about his concerns that a genetic factor could have been the cause of his son's death. Wong spoke with both both Rosenthal's less than a week before the murder, explaining to them that neither parent were to blame and that his death could have been caused by over 300 different factors. Right. Like this was not... And that he said with the proper precautions, you guys could safely conceive. Okay. Again. Yeah. Um, Paul Johnson, the husband of the couple that Richard followed to their home after the murder, oh, right. he testified. He said that Richard got out of his car asked him about his license plate, and then asked him for a spoon to eat yogurt. Oh. Paul said Richard started sobbing, and he asked if he was okay, and Richard replied, I've been better. Jesus. Entered into evidence by the defense were notes that police found in the car at the time of the arrest that Richard had written claiming that he was part of a, quote, secret outer space fraternity. Oh. He blamed the hospital, a hospital intern for killing his son and believed that a different baby was buried. Oh, shit. He also believed, according to a note that he wrote, he said that Jews were sent from outer space to mate with earthlings and bring harmony. Whoa. I've I never heard that I've one. Never, <laughs> I, I don't know anything about this, Desi. I've never heard that. I have never been invited. Yeah. I Wait, have, is this where I find out? That I'm an alien? <laughs> yeah, you like rip your head off. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like screaming. I'm just saying I knew nothing about this conspiracy. Yeah. Damn. And is this, what are these letters from? Are, uh, these, are these like entries? Well, some of these are just notes that he had on his person or that he had stashed in his car. Okay. Uh, so there's no date necessarily, but they're... Seem older. A lot of these notes that they found were written either right after the murder or before, right before the murder. Okay. They were found in his car when police arrested him. Okay. But then, of course, the letters that he wrote to family members, those right. were entered into evidence as well, and those ones were written after the arrest. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. Mark Rosenthal, his brother, Richard's brother, testified, and he said that after the murder, his brother told him that it wasn't Laura who he killed. He said, quote, it wasn't Laura Jane in the backyard. That body only had two kidneys, and Laura Jane had four. Okay. He also accused Mark of being a clone, 
And he said his parents were clones, and so were his lawyers. Wow. And once you start getting into clone conspiracy territory... Right. That's a... That's not a good sign. No. A psychiatrist who spoke with Richard after the murder told the court about the events Richard said occurred on the night of August 28th, 1995. Richard came home from Temple that evening and went into the backyard with a prayer book. Laura told him to watch the ziti that was in the oven. (gasps) Oh, right. She didn't want it to overcook. So when it started burning, Laura became upset and went to the yard to confront him about it. A fight broke out between the couple. Laura became angry and hit Richard. Richard told the psychiatrist that he believed his wife was an alien who was trying to kill him. So he hit her with a rock. He went on, quote, He believed that aliens are like vampires and that they drink blood. So you have to kill them like vampires. He then broke her arms because she was afraid (gasps) that she would chase him. He then went into the house to get a knife. He then cut her open and impaled her organs on a wooden stake. The psychiatrist told the court that he believes that Richard has a delusional disorder that was triggered by the trauma of losing his son. He cited Richard's intense preoccupation with getting to the truth about his son's death, the belief that the hospital was part of a conspiracy, and his sudden extreme interest in religion. Yeah. He said these were all signs that he was entering a psychotic episode. He also said that he showed signs of schizophrenia. He did not believe that Richard was faking this. During cross-examination, Prosecutor Mark Murphy questioned how Richard Rosenthal could function at his job as an executive if he was so mentally ill. The doctor responded that it wasn't a textbook case of delusional disorder. Yeah. Another psychiatrist testified that Richard told him that he saw rats on the side of the road and that these dead rats were the sign of a prophecy that he was going to die. Oh. He also believed he was hearing messages in the radio. So he's hitting all the marks. He's hitting all the marks. Yeah. He said that leaves on a plant at the office could change color at his command. Wow. The prosecution had their own psychiatrist, Dr. Allison Fife, testify. She said that she didn't believe that Richard suffered any kind of mental illness that would have allowed him to not be able to determine if it was wrong to brutally murder his wife. She cited the events that transpired in the day leading up to the murder. That he went to work, he called his wife nine times, which I thought was a little unusual. Yeah. Like, nine times? That's a lot of times to call someone. Like a phone call. It's not like a text or something. He phone called her. This is 1995. He phone called her nine times. That seems excessive. But she's citing this as like he was interacting with her. Okay. Uh, He said that she went to work, phone called her nine times, and then he went to Temple. She said, quote, there's no way he'd be able to interact with her during the day and snap into it at night. She called Richard a narcissist and a perfectionist. She said that when he found out he was carrying an antigen in his blood that could have, could have contributed to his son's death, he, as a narcissist, could not handle that fact. Ooh. She, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was like, oh, that, that actually makes sense. Yeah. She believed that he had to right the wrong and make someone pay for it. Oof. She said that the fact that he removed his bloody clothes and showered after the murder was evidence to his mental soundness. She said that his organized behavior following the murder was a sign that he wasn't psychotic. She pointed to the fact that when he was leaving the house with his four-month-old daughter, he strapped her into a car seat and he packed her a fresh change of clothes for her. He also locked the doors and turned out the lights when he left. In regards to the gruesome murder scene Richard left behind, she believes that it was staged to make him look insane. Hmm. Judy Rakowski of the Boston Globe noted that the change in Richard's behavior, depending on who was testifying during this, she was she right. noticed a change in his demeanor. For example, when the defense psychiatrist talked about how Richard believed his wife was an alien, he would put his head down and cover his ears. But when the prosecution psychiatrist called him out for being a narcissist, he just glared at her and silently chewed gum. Ooh, so that's like, creepy. <laughs> yeah. You don't ever want someone to silently chew gum at you. This is one of those cases where 
both sides do it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. And then the other person, I'm like, oh yeah, that's also right. Like, I know. Do you know what I mean? Like, I went back and forth so many times researching this case. I mean, it's one of those things sometimes I hear in trials where like, they're like, cer- certain things will be pointed out as a sign that they're not insane. But then I'm like, that kind of sounds insane actually to me. Or like, like I could see doing that when you're completely not, like you do kind of maybe do routines even though you're breaking, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Richard was found guilty of first degree murder and they added on with extreme atrocity and cruelty. Damn. And he was sentenced to life in prison. Now, his family was obviously very upset about this because they believe, like, our son is mentally ill. Yeah. Honestly, I believe it's a little bit of both. I believe that this is a mentally ill person, but also that he had extreme narcissism. Yes. And was abusive to his wife. I think both are true, too. Because... I mean, if someone is narcissistic and abusive to their wife doesn't mean they can't have mental illness as well. Like... Yeah, and honestly... Most mentally ill people are not violent. Yeah. In fact, a lot, you know, a lot of violence occurs towards mentally ill people. Yes. And if he wasn't getting treated for something, like the trauma of this child is even just exasperated. Untre- even untreated people who are mentally ill are this is not like a common thing where they're no. violent. Yeah. Um I believe that <sighs> You know, he was probably an abusive piece of shit to his wife. But do you think he had a psychotic break? Uh, I think that's absolutely possible that he had a psychotic break. And do you think he was um, faking it? That's more of the question, I guess. Well, I did think it was interesting that, uh, like, because I was like, the whole time I'm questioning, like, well, I really don't, like, if he was, you know, so, like, just a narcissist, like, why wouldn't he try to cover it up? He didn't try to cover it up at all. He literally left blood everywhere, and this insane, gruesome scene in the backyard, Mm -hmm. doesn't that point to some kind of, like, psychotic break from reality? That coupled with all the alien stuff. It's hard to say. But then when she's like, oh, he staged it, I'm like, oh, maybe he's smart. He, He thought in his brain, like, I'm being very smart about this because... I'm going to stage this to look like this was done by someone with a break from reality. But the key is, when did his plan start? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because if he was going to plan this, like, was it mid-killing her? that he's like, and now I'm going to make it look satanic by putting, you know what I mean? Or do something crazy with the lungs. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm curious. Honestly, that's why I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. I know. I think it is too, but it's hard to say which is the more prevailing factor. <laughs> yeah. And and what's he doing now in prison? He's just there. So he's not having any more incidents well, or is he being treated? Like, I'm just curious. I have no idea yeah. if, if they put him on medication in prison. I think he was actually refusing medication. And is he allowed to do that if people are in danger? In prison, like, you know, who are in prison with him. I have no idea. I actually looked to see if there was any updates on Uh him, and I couldn't find anything. All of my research for this episode, by the way, was from the Boston Globe. Oh, okay. I had to do... I mean, there there isn't a documentary about this guy. There isn't really any information beyond old newspapers. It's really an interesting case, though. It's a very interesting case. I mean, and I did, like... And it's really tragic, Oh my God. I mean, it's just like, it's so uh, like horrific. Yeah. It's really bad. What happened? And like, I couldn't believe just reading about this. I'm like, oh, like this isn't even horror movie versus reality. This is horror movie versus horror movie. Yeah. Because the details in it are absolutely like. It's so awful. The poor little baby. I know. So I, I hope the kid's doing okay today. The kid's She's obviously like an in adult. in her 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe so, almost 30. Yeah. I mean, I hope the kids and the families, both families are... Well, the fact that they're not in the news is probably good, right? Like, Yeah, right. Uh, wow. I had no idea. I don't even remember this being in the movie, but I don't remember much about the movie at all. Oh, well, it's yeah. it's not like it's a... Right. It's just a small factor. It's a. It's like a... It's and it's not like this exact, obviously this yes. exact thing, but there is a a murder that's talked about in the movie right. that is similar, yeah, to this. Cool, interesting. So go watch Session Nine. It's on Netflix. Yeah, go see Brendan's mullet. It's really great. <laughs> he he's a total himbo in the movie. Absolutely, 
Um, he also has a mullet in Boys Don't Cry. Look, I'm I'm thinking he had a mullet a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I would love a chart of his hair evolution. Yeah. Because he's had a lot of different hairstyles. For a guy. Like, For a guys guy. don't really have that many hairstyles to go, but go if, to. If you think about it, he's ha- like he had the Caesar haircut. Oh. In Welcome to the Dollhouse. Okay, yeah. Like with the fade? A little bit, yeah. I don't remember. And then I thought it was more like buzz like a spiky or something. No, that was Empire Records. Okay. Empire Records was like hair gel. Got it. And a little spiky. Those movies came out the same year too. I mean yeah. his range. Of hair. His range is incredible. <laughs> his hair range. Now I'm trying to think, was there any other Russian doll. He had a mullet in Russian doll. That's right. But it was like, a, that was a very hipster. That's a hipster mullet. So and he's he, done the every type of mullet. He really has. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. So what? what like would, a working class mullet, a trash mullet, and a hipster mullet. Yeah. Because I bet you the working class people, they're not even trying. It's just their hair grows out and they right. don't do anything about it. Like I would, <laughs> I would say the working class Oklahoma mullet was the boys don't cry. Yeah. And then the trash mullet was Session 9. Yes. And then the hipster mullet was Russian Doll. Right. And I feel like, I don't remember exactly, but he also had a very um, different hairstyle in uh, The Killing. Oh, yeah, he Because he did. had a big facial hair, too. He had big bear daddy energy yeah, in absolutely. The Killing. If you, what is that cat doing? It's, it's like like the, the cat's some, causing, the cat's bringing the ruckus. It found some paper. You know, you know what that means? Gotta fucking push that paper around like a crazy bitch. Um, I I don't know what he just. This is got. where you look and you're like, oh, they have a tampon, right? Like, they, <laughs> they're playing with a tampon. Like, okay, what is he uh, got? I'm. It's gonna be something that I'm gonna be like, no. Hold yeah. On. Okay. We'll have the big reveal. What is it? It is. Sorry. I think it's a remote to my fan. Oh, but it's in a plastic bag. It's in a plastic. So he likes the sound. He likes the sound of it. Cats love plastic. Especially that because it's a little weight to it. Yeah. So it's probably better to bat around. It's like a, you have toys. Ugh. This is like the classic cat thing. You yeah. have toys at home. No, not this one. This right. is the best one. This remote control in a plastic bag. Then see now if we sold these for cat toys, <laughs> then they wouldn't play with them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> once, it's, once it's marketed as a cat toy, they don't want anything to do with it. Nope. Okay, cool. I'm excited for this month. Absolutely. Me too. Um, We'll see you guys on Friday. Friday. Bye. Bye.